Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on March 26, 2017, on the basis of Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. So how's your bracket doing? Someone asked me that, someone asked me that question this week without, without any other lead-in, without any other context, just that, how's your bracket doing? And and of course, this time of year, instantly, we both knew exactly what he was talking about. I'm not sure if that's kind of impressive or kind of sad. But either way, how's, how's your bracket doing? <laughs> if it, <laughs> that's good to hear. If it's sufficiently busted by now, you might have a man by the name of Henry Teifel to blame for that. Henry Teifel was a 20th century Polish psychologist who pioneered something known as social identity theory. The idea is that at least part of our identity, who we are and what we are worth as human beings, comes from the social groups that we belong to. So those groups could include your your gender and your race and your nationality and your political party and, yes, also the sports teams that you are a fan of. You maybe identify and, and would consider yourself to be a, a Packer fan as opposed to a Bears fan or a Cubs fan as opposed to a White Sox fan. Now this concept of social identity theory affects our behavior in some rather substantial ways. For example, when it comes to filling out your NCAA tournament bracket. Studies have shown that people are actually irrationally inclined to pick their favorite teams to win games in the NCAA tournament, even when they know that those teams are not the better teams, and even when they know that in general circumstances it's a good idea to actually hedge your bets, to actually bet for the opposite of what you want to happen so that you sort of leave yourself an out and and create this win-win scenario for yourself. So why do people do that? Well, because filling out an NCAA tournament bracket is not just an individual thing, it's also a very social thing. And if you pick against your favorite team, then everybody else in your circle is going to know that you picked against your favorite team. And if that loyalty has something to do with your identity, then, then when that loyalty is gone, your identity is damaged. So if you pick the Badgers to go all the way, for example, It's not because you had good reasons to do so. It's not because you knew something that all of the basketball experts failed to see. It it might just be because of social identity theory. Now that, of course, is is a relatively harmless effect of what Henry Teifel was saying. There are much more serious and much more significant consequences. For example, if our identity does in part come from the groups to which we belong, then it is very easy for there to be sort of an us versus them mentality that develops. In other words, everyone who is in my group is my friend and my ally. Anyone who is outside of my group is my enemy. I will treat well those who are in my group. I will treat poorly those who are not in my group. So as you can imagine, a lot of people point to things like sexism and racism and other forms of prejudice as outcomes, results of social identity theory. Now, if there's any truth in that, then some people might look at the section of God's word that's in front of us today and 
consider it to be potentially dangerous and potentially very harmful. In these verses, Paul is very clearly describing two different groups and drawing a very clear line between those two groups. On the one hand, you have believers. On the other hand, unbelievers. On the one hand, those who know and believe God's word. On the other hand, those who do not. And here's what he says about those two groups. He says, the one is light. The other is darkness. The one is wise. The other is ignorant. The one is good. The other is evil. The one is under God's blessing, and the other is under God's wrath. We talk about some fodder for potential prejudice and hostility toward those who do not belong to the group that I am in. So, so this is the challenge that's in front of us today. How do we embrace and how do we identify with everything that Paul is saying about those who know and who believe God's word? How do we, how do we embrace what he says about the difference between us and them without that turning into us versus them? Of course, some people would say that that's an impossible task. And in fact, they would say that that's the very problem with religion and with Christianity in particular, that it, that it draws lines, that it divides people into groups and creates this hostility. And so prevailing wisdom would say that the, the cure for us versus them is to simply erase those groups. Not that all of us have to be exactly identical, but that wherever there are differences, that those differences are declared equal. Neither is better or worse, neither is superior or inferior, neither is morally better or morally worse than the other. The cure for us versus them is simply to say that us is equal to them. Paul takes the exact opposite approach. In some cases, of course, that's absolutely true in terms of, of race and gender or your height or your build. That's, that's absolutely true, but Paul is talking about different things in these verses. He's talking about things like our speech, for example, the words that come out of our mouth, how it is to be wholesome and pure rather than crude, how we are to build one another up rather than tear each other down. He talks about things like, how do you handle it when someone wrongs you? How we are to be patient and forgiving rather than vengeful and holding a grudge. He talks about God's plan for marriage and sex and our view of our bodies, how we are not to have the view that it's my body and I can just do whatever I want with it, but instead that God created my body and therefore it is my opportunity to bring honor to God's plan for my body. How we are to view our possessions and make use of those possessions, how we are not to be consumed by greed, but instead are to be generous toward others. In those kinds of situations, Paul says there is light and there is darkness. There is better and there is worse. There is right and there is wrong. And, and far from that being harmful to anyone who is in the other group or on the other side, ignoring those differences would truly be the harmful thing because Paul says this. He says, The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. All goodness all righteousness, all truth is fruit is produced 
by the light. None of it is produced by the darkness. So goodness, that which is truly beneficial, truly helpful and advantageous to our fellow human beings, all of what can be called goodness is produced by the light. None of it is produced by the darkness. And therefore, from a practical, pragmatic standpoint, light superior to darkness. All righteousness, that which is morally correct, morally in conformity with God's holy standards. All of it comes from the light. None of it comes from the darkness. And so morally, the light is superior to the darkness. Finally, Paul says all truth, that which conforms with reality, comes from the light, not from the darkness. So from a, a rational, intellectual standpoint, the light is superior to the darkness. Yes, Paul very clearly describes us and them, two different groups. And yet the key to, keep, to keeping that us and them from turning into us versus them is not simply to erase those distinctions, not simply to say that us is equal to them, not simply to say that light is equal to darkness. The moral relativism of our day is not at all the approach that Paul takes. So like I said, does that turn into fodder for hostility toward those who th see things differently, who have the opposite view, who belong to the other group? Again, some people would say absolutely. Some people would say that's the very problem with religion. That's everything that's wrong with our world. And can we just admit for a moment that we've probably give the, given them every reason to think that? That the differences that separate us and them, our view of God and his word as compared to the view that other people might have, has at times led to hostility, has at times led to a condescending and critical attitude toward those who see things differently, has at times led to things like bitterness and rage and spite, inside of us and in our treatment to other people. Ironically, the very characteristics of the darkness that we are claiming to be standing against. No, Paul doesn't simply say that us is equal to them. He doesn't, he doesn't erase the distinction between light and darkness. But, but if at times that distinction and that difference has led to an us versus them attitude and an attitude and behavior of hostility and malice toward others, then we haven't been paying very careful attention to Paul's words. Paul says, yes, you are light. They are darkness. But he adds a very important adverb. Now. Now you are light. But once you were darkness. In fact, just a couple verses prior to this, it's almost humorous the way that Paul describes it. He says to these people, you must no longer live like the Gentiles do. I insist that you must no longer live like those Gentiles. It's as if Paul is saying, can you believe those awful, filthy, no good, disgusting Gentiles out there? Don't live like them. Well, do you know what each and every one of the people who were reading this letter were? Gentiles. <laughs> It's a little bit hard to have a hostile, malicious view to people that belong to some sort of other group when you yourself used to be a part of that group. In fact, 
that is the very first characteristic of those who are light. Seeing, realizing that once they were in darkness. Realizing and seeing that the only way out of that darkness was not through any effort, not through any initiative of their own, but only a result of God's intervening grace. Only because God sent his son Jesus into this world to take all of the world's darkness, all of your darkness, all of my darkness, and and put it right on the shoulders of his son Jesus and make him pay for that darkness with his death on the cross. The only reason that you and I are light is because just like Jesus found this blind man in today's gospel, so also Jesus came and found us at the font at our baptism. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, he opened our eyes. He brought us over from darkness into light. Far from having an us versus them sort of attitude, the very first characteristic of those who belong to to the light is to realize that they once were in darkness too. And the only thing that brought them out of that darkness was God's grace. And so as a result, as we look at those who are still in darkness, the very thing that we want most is for it to happen to them exactly what by God's grace has happened to us. And that's why Paul gives more encouragement than simply to to stay away from the darkness. He doesn't simply say, don't compromise, don't conform, don't try and have your foot in one and also the other at the same time. He very much tells us to distance ourselves from the darkness, and yet he also tells us to engage with the darkness. He says it this way, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Even though there is this very clear line between these two groups of people, even though there very clearly is an us and a them, that doesn't mean that that line cannot be crossed. That doesn't mean that those two groups are fixed where they are. In fact, Paul describes the process by which people go from darkness to light. And it's simply this, that those who are light take that light to those who are in darkness. The very same thing that happened with us. And friends, that light is so powerful that, as Paul says, it not only has the ability to expose the darkness for what it truly is, but it also has the ability to actually transform the darkness into light. Just like it did with us. See, yes, there there is this us and them that Paul describes, but this is the real cure from that us and them turning into an us versus them. It's to look at the them and realize that the present them is identical to the past us, that we too belonged to the darkness. And as we stand and marvel at what God's grace has done for us, it's to then look at the present us and want nothing more than for that to be the future them. For God to do that very same thing for them, in them, with them. In fact, I can't help but comment on the fact that one of the best days for doing that very thing is coming up in the very near future. Easter is just three weeks away. Easter is one of the best opportunities for light to be taken to darkness. First of all, 
because it's a time when people are just naturally more open to considering church, to considering religion. And second of all, because it is the most important and the most joyful day of the year for us as Christians. It is the day when God proved beyond all doubt, when he proved once and for all, that light is superior to darkness. As you maybe start thinking about somebody who is in darkness that you might bring light to, I think what can happen to us as Christians is that all too often we get overly hung up on what we are going to say. How are we going to start? How is the conversation going to go? What questions are they going to ask? And how are we going to be able to answer them? And of course, that's not to say that that's not important. It is important to have a plan and to be prepared for what you are going to say when you bring that light to someone who is in darkness. But, but might I humbly suggest that far more important than what you are going to say is how you are going to say it. That even though there very much is an us and a them that Paul so clearly defines here, that it is anything but an us versus them. That type of, of attitude and that type of manner has been described by different people in different ways. I know one person described it as one prisoner who's, who's stuck in jail but is helping the rest of the prisoners find the way out. Another person described it as one beggar, one poor destitute person helping another beggar find a source of free, unlimited bread. Maybe on the basis of what Paul is describing in these verses, we'd say... Imagine yourself way down deep in, in Cave of the Mounds over in Blue Mounds, way down deep, and, and all of a sudden they turn off the lights. And there's nothing that you could possibly do but, but stumble around and, and ultimately end up hurting yourself. And you're there with one other person, and both of you are in the darkness, but, but you've got two flashlights. And what you have seen, what God has done for you by his grace, is the one thing that more than anything else you also want for them. Far from a, an us versus them attitude, it's, it's looking at present them and realizing, yeah, that, that was past us. I was exactly like that, stuck and steeped in darkness. And then also looking at, at present us and what God has done for us only by his grace. And not only wanting, but, but also acting so that that would be future them. That what God has done for us, he would also do for them. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.